In this episode, we talk to Adam Johnson about his new book, Boost Your Django DX. Developer experience includes tools and practices to make developers more effective and efficient and just plain make development more fun and satisfying. One of the things I love about this book is that it's not just for Django devs. I'd guess about half the book is about topics that all Python developers would find useful, from virtual environments to linters to testing, but of course, also tons of tips and tools for working with Django. Welcome to Test and Code. Welcome, Adam Johnson. It's been a couple of years since we've talked. What have you been up to since then? Yeah, um, I've been doing some client work, surviving a pandemic, and uh, <laughs> at the end of last year, I wrote another book, Boost Your Django DX. Client work. So you, when you say client work, so what do you? What does that mean? Um, I kind of work as a consultant on Django projects and, and jump around between a few, um, handling things like improving testing, developer experience as this kind of broad umbrella term of okay. things that can help and uh, doing things that I might have a bit more leverage over, like upgrading Django, upgrading Python. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So on a lot of the projects, are you... Um... It's probably a mix, but do you uh, develop new sites with Django for people, or is it mostly coming in and helping with existing Django? It's mostly sites? people with existing projects, perhaps a few years old, who either want a short audit, so I'll do like even a few days or a week just looking through for the most obvious issues that can crop up in, in projects that have lasted that long, or, uh, you know, I often work on a part-time basis with them over a longer period. Oh, that actually sounds fun. Yeah, definitely. I like having um, a bit more of a feel for what people struggle with with the framework. I think it helps inform me building more third-party packages or helping maintain Django core. Uh, if, you, if I was working on a single project, I'm sure I could get like uh. that kind of... like. Um, Tolerance, right? Something works a certain way, and everyone is like tolerant of it working that way, and just don't touch that thing again. Yeah. Whereas when you see the same, oh, like two or three different teams struggle with the way static assets work or something, that in informs me to like go make open source contributions. Nice. Okay. Um, I could I could go down this rabbit hole a lot, but I want to switch gears. So just to remind okay. people, if they weren't back here listening in twenty twenty. You were on episode 128, and we talked about PyTest randomly and how tests should be order independent. Very important. Um, mm -hmm. Now now I'm telling people to always use... Uh, there's a couple different um, plugins to do randomized stuff, and, and randomly is definitely one of the better ones. But uh, there's whatever works for you, I guess. Um, and then episode 135, we talked about your first book, uh, Speeding Up Django uh, Tests, or speaking, I forget what it was called. Speed up your Django tests. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, yeah, we talked about the contents of that and and the book, but um, and now your second book is Boost Your Django DX. DX is developer experience, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I everyone knows that term. Yeah. Okay. I I love. I don't. I. I. It should have been obvious to me. I didn't. Uh, 
I put I kind of put it together because of UX as user experience. So I figured T's developer, but I love the idea of focusing on developer experience. So what um what does developer experience mean to you? Yeah, it's definitely a very broad term that could mean a lot of things from like how comfortable is your chair? Is your screen at the right height or are your colleagues pleasant to work with? Uh, but I think for most people, it's like the experience of writing or debugging code and like, is it easy to make changes? Is it easy to avoid common pitfalls and bugs? And is it you know, fast and, uh, and pleasant? to get your changes from the first time you like type a key uh, to production. And there's a lot here. Um, I mean, not just in your book, there's a, there's a lot that you're covering, but there's a, there's a lot to developer experience that I don't think one of the things I like about focusing on this is because I don't think a lot of management chains uh, think about this too much. Mm -hmm. They just hire coders and just have them code. And maybe, uh, <laughs> hopefully that's not the case, but, but um, but there's a, I think this makes a big difference. What do you think? I mean, it's hard to put a number on it, but do you have like a gauge for like if people don't focus on it at all versus spending some time focusing on improving uh, tools and stuff? Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's one of those things that's very hard to put a number on. Um, you're, you're right that most management chains probably don't think of it, especially the further away you are from the, the coal face of coding. I think that's it's something of a responsibility for us as technical people to be thinking about our own kind of work environment. We have the most control over it. To put a number on it, I, I don't know. I mean, there's that myth of the 10x developer and perhaps the 10x developer isn't 10 times smarter, but makes 10 times fewer mistakes because they have all the tools and stuff in place. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they, I mean- The I... right amount, I'm sorry. No, I, I just, uh, I was thinking what, what number would I put on it? And, and I don't know if I would put 10x, but it, that's, that's not out of the realm, I, I think. Watching people with, that are comfortable with their tools work quickly. Um, like, I'm not even around Django, but I was, I was remembering the first time that I, the first time I noticed that I, my, my tool game was weak was in grad school. Um, and I was using, uh, Nothing against Emacs people, but I was using Emacs at the time, and um, I was uh, had an office. One of my office mates, I was had a, had an office because I was uh, a teaching assistant, um, but I shared it with two people. But one of them, um, she was an avid Vim user, and with Vim with tags, and it wasn't like Windows Vim either. She was command line Vim all the way, and or VI at the time with tags, and um, and being able to jump around through the code, and she was, she was like thinking through the code flow without having to care what files she was in, and that was the first time I saw that sort of magic. And I'm like, oh my god, she's, she really is working probably twenty times faster than I do because I, look, I just take a look, try to find the file in the header file, guess where it is, look there, it's not there, look somewhere else. Whereas she was just going popping right to the tag. So. Um, like, I don't know if you, uh, that's just one, one section. And that's one that we actually don't, hopefully don't have to teach developers to go out and pay attention to because I think they know that they should understand their editor. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, 
and and I, I'm not even like it's not even VI versus anything else. All of the good it should be a coding editor, and all the good coding editors can have tricks like this. But let's um, I, I guess what sort of things do you cover in the book, or what do you think is important? Uh, um, yeah, well, editors are not what I cover in the book. Uh, definitely <laughs> a key area, but there's just too many of them. There's yeah. there's individual guides for every single editor out there that. Yeah, you should definitely pick up and, and find all the relevant Python and, and whatever plugins that make your workflow faster. The kind of things I cover are the more universal that probably everyone or most developers can make use of. Um, so that's things like documentation tools, make it faster to get to the right docs, um, code quality tools, which is like umbrella term for linters and formatters and other kinds of checkers. Um, uh, including building your own. Um, and then like, that kind of stuff is more general Python. And then like the other half of the book is more Django specific, like the best way to write your Django settings files and common pitfalls that you might encounter there. Um, best way to populate your database in development so you can uh, always have a good working set of data that makes it very fast to get started. And that's one of the things I did notice was the, um, like, almost half the book seemed like everybody should read this, whether you're using Django or not. If you're, if you're using Python, these are, these are good things. Like, really understand how virtual environments and your dependencies will go together. This is, this um, seems obvious to me, but it isn't obvious to a lot of people. I, I mean, I, I remember a team where I had to. I did have to start convincing people that virtual environments were a good thing. When you when you when you first start out, I mean, maybe not everybody, but some people's introduction to Python is similar to their introduction to Perl. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, I think Perl has some of the similar problems, but most of my Perl's writing was not applications or big things with lots of dependencies. It was just straight Perl stuff. It was like a search and replace script and things like that. So you just stick it somewhere. And I don't have to bundle it with dependencies or anything like that. Um, of course, later when I started doing advanced things with Perl, we would get into packages as well. But uh, the um, Python, I, I now everywhere, even a little build script, I tell everybody we've got to use virtual environments. It's just, it's not a, it's not optional anymore. I don't think. Yeah. So, um, but that's, and that's just scratching the surface. We get into uh, one of the things, I, the second topic, one of the second topics you get into that I was surprised by is IPython. Um, does IPython really like, do you use that much with uh, Django development? Oh, yeah. Um, Django has a shell command that you, know, you end up using quite frequently. It sets up Django, then opens a Python shell. And if IPython is installed, it will use IPython in preference to the normal Python shell. Um, I found it invaluable over the years. In fact, I was lucky enough to be shown it on like one of my first few weeks using Django. So I never really used the Python shell. And then when I started finding I needed to use it on other projects because IPython wasn't there, I was like, hey, this is so much harder. I don't have like a real history. Or, um, it's not easy to paste multiple lines of code. The order complete is worse. These things add up. Yeah, and I um, so I had kind of 
knew the IPython shell was around, but sort of ignored it for a long time. Um, but I was reading, um, reading a data science book, um, uh, which I can't remember the name of right now. But um, one of the in, during part of the introduction is to as a description and a brief to, brief uh, fast forward introduction to IPython. And I'm like, why am I not using this all the time? This is this is great. Um, there's a lot of cool features. Cool. I'm gonna <laughs> j- jumping ahead a bit. Um, uh, I one of the things when developing a web uh, a web application, Django or anything else, is understanding a development server. So I was glad that you covered that. Um, is that uh, is is Django different than somebody else that you use development server differently? Um, I don't know if it's like that different. It does the same kind of it's HTTP, but it has some like extra features that uh, are pretty useful actually. That maybe you would miss because most people would just run the development server and never read the docs. Um, so I hope to expose those. Um, the key one there is Watchman. So I, I guess most development servers work with a fairly inefficient file watching system where it's universal, but it it it, it um, takes a lot of CPU. It'll run in a loop and check every single file has it been changed. And Django does this every second by default. So once your project has grown, especially by installing a few packages, which could be a few thousand files, it can take a notable amount of CPU and then it can take a notable amount of time to actually discover it's time to reload because it's just busy all the time checking files. Mm. Um, so Watchman is uh, something that lets you hook into the kernel and listen for Firewatch notifications from the kernel. And that's different on every operating system. So we need a separate tool to do it for us. Otherwise, we'd have to maintain like six different versions of it for different OSs. Okay. Um, um, so that's something you install extra. So that does that drastically reduce the uh, CPU load then? Yeah. on even a medium-sized project with like 100 dependencies, I found it would take 25% of uh, a CPU core uh-huh. um, to run. And that, that adds up when you're using a laptop on battery power as well um, because that means the CPU can never scale down like to its like low frequency and reduce the power consumption. So you can take your 8-hour battery to 4 hours or something like that. You install Watchman, it becomes 0% because nothing happens until a file actually changes. That's cool. Huh. Well, now I'm thinking that trying to trying to think about um, incorporating Watchman in a better way to watch for tests to rerun. Uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to look at that. that that's got mm-hmm. more uses than just Django then, right? Definitely. Yeah. Wow. There's, okay. there's alternatives to Watchman as well. Um, like Django used to use one that would hook mostly into Linux. There's also something called Watchdog and a fork. I think it's called Watchgod. But uh, for whatever reason, <laughs> Django, Django picked Watchman, which is maintained by Facebook. Yeah, um, uh, uh, Watchgod. That's funny. Um, good, nice. I, lo- <laughs> I kind of love the dumb jokes in, in programming. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Having a lot of uh, a little bit of focus on um, uh, linters as well, I'm I'm actually surprised. I, I'm, I guess I'm curious about this uh, because I'm surprised frequently uh, entering and talking to different teams. 
how many how many development teams don't use any sort of linting um, as a as a standard rule? I mean, there might be individual developers that use it, but uh, a lot of people, like a lot of groups, don't have a standardized way. Um, is that something common? If you're if you work as a, a consultant coming into groups, uh, is that something you often have to teach people about? Yeah. Um... It varies and like teams might have tried setting up linters and they're like opt in. So, you know, if a developer wants to run them locally, but that's not maintained on CI yeah. or something like that. Um, but uh, twice actually in the past couple of months, I've uh, been looking at a new project. I've run Flake 8 with the Flake 8 Bugbear plugin, which is a fantastic one for picking up on extra common issues that tend to be like real sources of bugs. And I found the same bug. Um, and once you've found like a real bug that, that could affect production, then it's normally taken as a strong argument. Like, oh, we, we should have had this all along. Um, yeah. So what, what, how do you recommend people use uh, things? So let's just take that, like Flake 8 and Flake 8 Bugbear. Um, should mm -hmm. it be run locally or should it be run on the CI server or both? Um. Yes, both and in your editor as well, if you can get that going. Um, I like to okay. use pre-commit. Uh, you've had Anthony on the, pro on the podcast many times. Um, yeah. Yeah, pre-commit made by Anthony Sotil. And that's a good tool for setting up all these hooks, running them when you run git commit or before, if you run it on the command line or through an editor. Um, and then also in CI. Um, it even has a CI service. And uh, um, and I was actually slow to come around to uh, to enjoying black, and I I think I'm I'm a convert now. Black is uh, is great, and I can't remember who said it, but um, it doesn't it isn't. Most people have the I think a lot of people have this experience with black in that uh, they may not agree with all the decisions, but they agree that it's it's not productive to argue about this stuff anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, my my particular one was uh, whether or not the default should be single quotes or double quotes, and uh, I had lots of arguments on my favor. I thought thought why single quotes should be better, but uh, it's not really a hill I'm worth dying on. It's, it's worth dying on, so I'll let it go. It's not just the there's these universal things that I'm I've been focusing on because um because I am not a Django developer. And we did talk about the uh, the some of the Django server and and um, some of the the fun Django things like Django and IPython, um, but you do you do cover a lot of uh, Django specifics in here, I think. Um, let's pick one like the I don't know uh, settings. You have a chapter on settings. Is settings that big of a deal that I have to like focus on that or what, what's going on there? Uh... Well, yeah, surprisingly, you think um, like the Django settings file is typically just a module with uh, constants that you might pull from an environment variable. So it's just some uppercase things like what, are, what is the settings for the database that you want to connect to. Um, but there's actually a lot of small things that I guess there's like a lot of tutorials that people copy them from or something like there's the tiny anti-patterns that add up to settings files um, becoming a bit of a, a mess or really problematic once once you go down the road. Um, so I hope to provide a template that like 
gives a lot of good guidance all in one place in a, in a much more declarative format than the docs can give you. Yeah. Nice. Okay. I was glad that you, um, uh, you wrote this. I was this, and I was like thrilled to find out that actually like most of the stuff that I am learning from this book applies to all Python projects, not just Django. Um, the, however, it's pretty cool. You wrote it. Um, uh, and I do notice uh, PyTest shows up a couple times in here, mm-hmm. uh, which is cool. Um, I'm curious, um, and I, I think it, that's completely, uh, it's nice, um, and it's completely valid to cover both because I think a lot of people are still, uh, st- a lot of use, the built-in testing for Django is unit test-based, right? Uh, yep. but, a lot of, but a lot of people are using PyTest Django. Um, I think that's the, is that the plugin that most people are using or is there some other way to run PyTest and Django together? Um, I've seen simple projects just do uh, roll their own. Like you just need a PyTest fixture to configure Django's settings and run the database migrations. But yeah, most projects would need PyTest Django. I would okay. guess that three quarters of projects, um, at least those that are being maintained over a year, or with someone working full time on them, are using PyTest at this point. Yeah, really, three quarters. That would be my guess. Um, uh-huh. I think. Yeah, there's there's a tipping point. Once you've written so many tests with Django's test runner, you're like, well, I'm getting bored of uh, the output being so minimal or hard to debug, or missing these features from PyTest that are just over there. So. Yeah. Um. And how about your, per- your personal stuff? Do you uh, do you prefer to to be working with PyTest with uh, Django apps or, or? I prefer PyTest. Yeah, um, all my open source projects use PyTest. And uh, interestingly, one pull request I'm working on right now with someone else from the Django world is an extension to the Django test runner. But I've picked PyTest as the test runner, so the PyTest test runner is invoking Django's test runner to check that it does the right stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's a it's all it's all test runners all the way down. Yeah, um, inception. Um, well, cool. And you, uh, you this this was pretty quick. Um, I mean, I I guess from the outside world it looked quick. How much? Uh, how long were you working on this book? Um. Yeah, I think it took me about three or four months from first commit to published. Um, yeah, four months. Um, I'm going to go cry I, now. I wasn't doing much else at that time. Okay. Um, I, I took a break from work due to family reasons last year. Um, so it was, it was all I did. And it's really the culmination of everything I've been working on, trying to blog about since I started being a a consultant in 2019. Okay. Okay. Uh, interesting. Now, um, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you put that little caveat that you were doing this most of the time. Cause that makes me feel a little better because mm-hmm. I spent like bloody 18 months on my book, um, or more, uh, but I wasn't counting, but I just know from the dates that that's about how long it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, what, and my first guess that I told the publisher was, uh, I said, I, um, when I proposed a second edition, I said, I think it'll take somewhere around six months, give or take six months. So um, I was off by a year. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Well, you can only ever be late, right? Like, it's very hard to be early. <laughs> well, right. I mean, unless it was already done, I wouldn't have been early. Um, the, 
uh, now yourself, you self-published this, is that correct? Yeah, on Gumroad. Okay. Yeah. Any top final topics you want to cover about before we uh, sign off? Um, I was thinking before the podcast about how linters, type checkers, formatters, they all fit against testing. Um, because, you know, we, we often hear that like uh, testing is the, the thing to do to make sure your code is high quality. But there are definitely yes. things that you cannot test for and you need all of the different bits of the puzzle, I think. Um, they all cover different gaps. Yeah, so um, linters and and uh, uh, what all did you cover? Linters and what else? Formatters, type checkers. Yeah, and then I would add um, um, probably add monitoring afterwards. Um, do you, oh, definitely, yeah. Um, so you're not you're not done when you've pushed uh, when you've pushed. You've got to monitor as well. So uh, one of the things that I like to have in place is to find out what URL somebody was trying to use. Um, when they hit a 404 so that mm -hmm. I can, uh, because sometimes it's surprising. I'm like, I, I really thought that was there. What's going on? Um, and there's, there happens to be like a, uh, a misspelling or something like that. That's worth, worth putting a redirect in, uh, but little things, but that's not really a, anyway, this is kind of a neat thing that you put together. Cause you can, now when you're a consultant, you can, you can say, could, could you, uh, just, just read this before I show up and, <laughs> Or is it something that after you it come in, you say? It be after you show up, yeah. <laughs> after you show up, okay. Well, yeah, because you don't want them to read it and then not need you, right? Um, so. <laughs> well, I think, I think there's like a division. There's the people who have the time, so they'll go read a book. And there's the people who they don't have the time, so they hire, hire me. And then I'm like, ah, well, I'll make this change. And here's the citation myself <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah course, no, that links on to everything else but uh, it's convenient yeah. i don't have to repeat myself hopefully well always a pleasure to talk with you adam um i wish you luck with this book and with uh, your your contracting work and everything else and uh, we'll keep in touch thank you very much brian it's been great to be back on Thank you, Adam. Always fun to talk with you. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Join them at testandcode.com support. All of those links are in the show notes at testandcode.com. That's all for now. Now go out and test something. <laughs>